as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Please, uh, I, I would normally say please be seated back at, uh, in Ref- at Reformation in Virginia Beach, but let's pray together now. O gracious God and Father, we lift our hearts up again to you, the living and true God, and we plead with you that you would enable us to hear your word with ears of faith, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would give us wisdom and understanding, that you would help us to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ better and more fully, that you would help us to take hold of him who is our life, that we might say truly and from the heart all the days of our lives in this world, certainly not perfectly in this life, but willingly and freely, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Help us, O Lord, to meditate upon these verses of your word tonight and meditating upon them to long to live our lives as you would have us to live them. Not only as individuals, but as the body of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we considered from the passage that we've just read what it means to live our lives in this world as if Christ himself is our life. The Christian life is not simply a matter of learning the right principles, principles of morality or even the principles of our Westminster Shorter Catechism. I love the Catechism. Children, I hope that you are learning the Catechism. But authentic Christianity is not a matter of knowing and applying principles. The Christian life is a life of knowing the person of Christ, of being in Him, of living in union with Him, of ordering all of life around Him, of being in living and intimate and daily communion with Him who is our life. That's not to say that there are no principles to know or to apply, but we must never deceive ourselves into thinking it to be merely a matter of having the right principles and of knowing how to bring those principles to bear in any given circumstance or situation. That's a a, a mechanical kind of Christianity. It's a, a lifeless kind of Christianity. It's... It's a metallic kind of Christianity and really a Christless Christianity which is no true Christianity at all. 
if we're merely thinking in terms of having the right principles and applying those principles. Paul's declaration in verse 21 of the passage before us tonight brings this into the sharpest possible focus and resolution. If my life in this world is so centered on Christ, so connected to Christ that I am able to say for to me to live as Christ and to die is, uh, uh, for, for me to live as Christ, that, that is not simply a statement of principle. That is a statement of wholehearted devotion and reliance and dependence and trust. It's not just a matter of principle. It's a matter of a person in whom I trust. But when I add to that these words, and to die is gain, I have said even more. I have said what Paul says so confidently and so wonderfully in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you see, when we've come to learn the lesson that to live is Christ, it is then and only then that we will ever be able to say to die is gain. Because to say that is to have a faith which has not only overcome the world, but which has overcome death itself by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What we hope to see tonight as we look again at this portion of God's Word is that if we live our lives in this world for Christ, we can be assured that death will never separate us from Him and His love. And we need to know that. We need to live as if that is true. We'll consider that in two points as we see first that the Christian life is a crucified life and second that the Christian life is a risen life. The Christian life is a crucified life and a risen life. And in this way, we hope to see how it can be true that for the Christian, as Solomon tells us, the day of our death is better than the day of our birth. Let's look at our first point, a crucified life. We touched on this in the sermon this morning, but I want to come back to verse 23 and, and Paul's desire to depart and to be with Christ. If you were with us this morning, you'll remember that Paul describes himself as being hard pressed between two desires. He, he uses a word, a word form here in the Greek language that expresses something more than an ordinary desire to have or to obtain something. A better way of putting it might be that he fervently desires, he passionately longs to depart and to be with Christ. He's consumed with this, with this desire to depart, to be with Christ. That's his great desire. It's actually the same word form that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5 where he says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, 
a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. The deepest longing and desire of the Christian is to be clothed by Christ in our resurrection bodies. To dwell with Him in perfect righteousness in a new creation without suffering and without sin, worshiping and serving Him perfectly, body and soul, for all the endless ages to come. And we know, don't we, that we don't have that desire as we ought to have it. We don't have that desire perfectly. But that is the deepest, most foundational desire that the Spirit has put in the hearts of His people. That's the earnest desire of all those whose hope is in Christ. What Paul has been saying in verses 19 to 20 is that while he doesn't know what God's will is concerning his current imprisonment for the gospel, he trusts that Christ will be magnified whether he lives or dies. Christ will be lifted up. Christ will be exalted. Christ will be glorified either through Paul's life and ministry or through Paul's death. And so he's encouraged to press on and to preach the gospel with all boldness and without shame because whatever happens to Paul, Christ will be glorified. Are you able to say that, brothers and sisters? Whatever happens to me, whatever happens to my children, whatever happens to my marriage, whatever happens to this church, Christ will be glorified. Christ will be glorified. That also happens to be his main message for the Philippian church. Whatever happens, whatever hostility or persecution or suffering may come, press on in Christ, press on in your worship and your witness, press on in your fellowship in the church, keep working out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do. Paul speaks here of the death of his body. He desires, he earnestly longs to depart and to be with Christ. And the reason is not that he has a death wish, because death is the unnatural separation of the soul from the body. It's not that he has a death wish. Death is the last enemy. But he has a Christ wish. He has a life wish. He longs to depart and to be with Christ. And the reason is that to be with Christ is far better. Verse 23. In other words, Paul's faith takes hold of what his natural mind and his senses cannot know or see or perceive. That death for the believer is but a doorway into the very presence of Christ. And to be with Christ is to be free of sin, free of sorrow, free from suffering, free from every hindrance and every disruption and every distraction from communion with God and with Christ. Let's just take note of something at this point. There's not even a hint here of what the cults and the false teachers call soul sleep or 
annihilationism, the destruction of the soul. Both of these are heresies that deny the conscious existence of the soul after death and in that in-between time when we're, when we're waiting for the resurrection of the dead. Paul knows that to be with Christ is something far better than life in this world. Even to be with Christ in that bodiless state in between is to be far better. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it goes without saying that one can hardly be said to be with someone in a far better way that doesn't involve conscious communion and fellowship and love. And so this passage by itself refutes those ancient heresies. And we need this ancient heresies refuted for our own comfort. But Paul's desire to depart and to be with Christ is surpassed by something else. His desire to deny himself, to lay down his life, and to follow Christ. He says in verse 22 that he knows if he remains in the flesh, his labors in the gospel will continue to bear much fruit unto everlasting life. By dying to his own desire to depart and to be with Christ, many now living in death will be raised up by the preaching of the word and by the ample supply of the Spirit to resurrection life in Christ. Verse 24, he says that he knows that for him to remain and to preach Christ is the most needful thing for the Philippian church and for all the churches that Paul was ministering to. Paul's great and overarching desire is not for Paul, but for Christ and His church. If Paul remains, the church won't lose an apostle of Christ. If Paul remains, the church will be better protected from the false apostles who are leading many to themselves and not to Christ. If Paul remains, his foundation-laying work among the Gentiles can continue. And so while Paul is hard-pressed between two desires, he is resolved that his life is not his own. And that even if it is not his time to depart and to be with Christ, he will live a crucified life in this world. He will die to his own deeds and desires and live at all times and in all ways by the Spirit unto Christ for the glory of Christ that Christ might be magnified by his life in the flesh. That, dear brothers and sisters, is how you and I are called to live. Matthew Henry puts all of this into perspective when he says, those who know the value of Christ and heaven will readily acknowledge it far better to be in heaven than to be in this world. To be with Christ than to be with any creature. For in this world we are compassed about with sin, born to trouble, born again to it. But if we come to be with Christ, farewell sin and temptation. Farewell sorrow and death forever. But now let me press a question upon all of our hearts tonight. Do you and I really see things this way? Do we really believe that to depart and to be with Christ is far better? Or are there things in this world and in this life that are more desirable to us than Christ? 
Are there things in this world that we want for ourselves or even that we want for our children? Are there things that we desire to accomplish or to achieve, things that we want to experience? People speak of their bucket list. I always call it a glory list. Things that we want to experience more than face-to-face, unbroken, unhindered, everlasting communion with Christ. If not, why is it that we cling to our lives in this world so much? I can remember how our niece, Natalie Ellen, in the months before her death, she died when she was 13 years old of bone cancer. As she faced pain like nothing that I have ever witnessed in this world, I've never seen anyone suffer as I saw her suffer. And she actually refused the higher dosages of medication because she wanted to be conscious and aware. She wanted to spend her last days in communion with her family members. She wanted as many lucid moments with her father and her mother and her siblings as she could possibly have. I can remember Natalie expressing one great sadness that she had. She had always longed to be married and to have children and to be a mother. And now as she endured round after round after round of chemo and as the news from the doctors became more and more grim over those ten last months of her life, as she struggled to let go of that desire and to mortify it for Christ. Before she departed and went to be with Christ, she had resolved in her heart that to be with Christ is far better than anything she could desire in this world. When someone brought to her a a CD to listen to, she noticed that the title of the album was To Live as Christ. For Natalie, that thought was incomplete in the days before she died. And she wrote with a marker on the CD cover, and to die is gain. Natalie had learned the lesson that you and I need to learn most of all, that whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And if we live, we live for Him. And if we die, we die for Him. Christ is our life, then all of life will be a dying to sin and to self and to the cares and the concerns and the distractions and the temptations of this fleeting life. And in dying for Christ, whether it is this kind of dying, the dying of self-denial and the dying of mortification, or whether it is the death of our bodies when our pilgrimage in this world has come to its end, Our whole lives will be a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise and service to Him who died and rose again for us. Do you and I really believe that to die is gain? Search your hearts, dear brothers and sisters. Is that just a Christian cliche that we use when we need something really spiritual to say? Is it just words to us? Or is it the very pulse beat of our existence 
The only way that you will ever truly take hold of this truth that to die is gain is if you can first say with all your heart by grace and through faith that to live is Christ. He is my life. Are you truly able to say that tonight? If you have even a desire to desire to desire that desire in your heart, I want you to be comforted tonight. You can be assured that Christ is at work in you, creating that spiritual desire in your heart, and that He will most assuredly complete the good work of grace that He has begun in you. If by the grace of God you live your life in this world for Christ, you can be assured that death will never separate you from Christ and His love. That brings us to our second point. A risen life. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that being united to Christ does not bring you into a state of sinless perfection. Isn't that true? It doesn't bring you into a state of sinless perfection. This is probably one of the most confusing and discouraging realities that we discover after our conversion. Unless we grew up in a covenant home and then we were taught that all along, so it's not quite a surprise. But Scripture itself prepares us for this, doesn't it? Paul makes this very point in Philippians 3 when he says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And what Paul means, of course, is that as long as he lives in this world, he has not yet attained the promise of the resurrection. It remains an object of hope. But it is a firm hope. It's not a wishy-washy hope It is a firm hope, a hope that enables us to live our lives in this world by the resurrection power of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to know, as the Scriptures teach us, that the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in you and you children too, if you know the Lord Jesus? I often tell the covenant children, In our congregation, I coming to faith later on in life, but many of them coming to faith in a covenant home, never knowing a day when they didn't know the Lord. And some of them will sometimes say, well, I don't have a a powerful conversion story, a conversion testimony. And I'll say to them, your conversion to Christ under the ordinary means of grace, is every bit as powerful and every bit as extraordinary because it's the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ at work in you that has raised you up from deadness and sin to newness and life in Christ. So you don't need to have an extraordinary conversion experience to have the resurrection power of Christ at work in you. So what Paul is getting at in Romans 6 
He says there, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Paul couldn't be any more emphatic that we who are in Christ have become new creatures in Christ. We've passed from death to life. And though we still have this reality of indwelling sin, these remnants, these these rags of the old man, we still have that. We still have what Paul calls this body of death, the flesh constantly seeking to frustrate us and to debilitate us and to discourage us. That is nevertheless not what is fundamentally true about us. The Christian does not identify with his sin. The Christian identifies with Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him risen again. The Christian identifies himself as a child of the living God. One in union with Christ and therefore able to live out of that union. Not perfectly in this life, but really and truly. And what a great encouragement that is to us. That it's not dependent on us. It's His resurrection life at work in us. We are not dead in sin. Rather, we are dead to sin, dear brothers and sisters. And being dead to sin, we are alive in Christ and alive to the righteousness that is in Christ. This is what Paul means when he goes on in Romans 6 to say, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now if we died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, here's the application. You also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, be who you are. Are you a child of God? Be who you are. Live in light of your true identity in Christ. So what does it mean for us to be able to say that to die is gain? We can only say that because we are also able by the Spirit who dwells in us to say to live as Christ. And though I am a dying man who will one day go to the grave, nevertheless, I can also say that though I may die, yet shall I live. And the proof that I have this hope is that I've already begun to live a crucified and risen life in this world. I'm beginning to begin to begin to begin. It's a small Beginning of the new obedience, as the Heidelberg Catechism tells us so wonderfully. I'm beginning to begin to begin to begin to live 
a crucified and risen life in this world. I'm beginning to begin to begin to wage a victorious warfare over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I'm failing and I'm falling so often. But Christ is still at work in me. I'm dying to self. I'm dying to all that is of my corrupt, sinful nature. And I'm beginning more and more, sometimes more and sometimes less, in a feeble and faltering way to die to sin and to live to Christ. But that is His great reason. That is our great reason for rejoicing because it is the Spirit's evidence in me of His life-giving work upon me. The Spirit's work in you is the evidence that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And as that work progresses throughout my life and as I grow more and more in likeness and conformity to Christ, that becomes for me even more of a confirmation and even more of a pledge from God that when I die, my death will not be lost to me, but rather great and glorious gain. As Matthew Henry says, all those to whom to live is Christ, to them to die will be great gain, everlasting gain. Death is a great loss to a carnal worldly man. For he loses all his comforts and all his hopes. But to a Christian, it is gain. For it is the end of all his weaknesses and misery and the perfection of all his comforts and accomplishment of his hopes. It delivers him from all evils of life and brings him to the possession of the greatest possible good, which is not a thing, but a person. Now, dear child of God, how could it be that you would live in any anxious fear or any sinful doubt if you had this thought before you at all times to live is Christ, to die is gain. And if you kept this thought before you always, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be with Christ is far better than anything that I've ever experienced or known in this life. If that thought were the thought that was magnified rather than the anxious fears, you see. When you're tempted to doubt the promises of God, what is it that will renew your confidence and restore your hope? Is Is it not this promise of Christ, I am with you always, even to the end of the age? I am with you. The one who died, the one who lives, the one who is coming again. And if he's promised to be with you in this life, will he not be with you forever in the life of the world to come? But what about you? who are weary of well-doing in this world. As a pastor, I know that in a congregation of this size, there must be some. There are always some. And certainly, in a congregation where there has been much suffering and affliction, there must be some. 
What about those of you who, though you may have never uttered a syllable of such a thought to any other person in this world, you've even despaired of life itself. And maybe you've even considered that it might be better for you if you put an end to your own misery by your own hand. But then you feel the guilt and the shame of even having such a thought. And so you're hard-pressed, not as Paul was hard-pressed, but hard-pressed by thoughts that come not from your Father in heaven, but from the evil one. Is there any hope for me, you ask? And the answer is that there is great hope for every sinner who will call upon the Lord even in the midst of his anguish and despair and cry out to the Lord for the grace to say with Paul, To live is Christ. And to die is great gain. If Christ is your life, you will see how the life that is in you is not just for you, but a life that is meant to be lived in the service of Christ. You'll see so clearly that your life is not your own to do with as you will. But your life belongs to Christ. And your life is for the sake of of the people of Christ. And so often, the cure for depression and discouragement and despair is simply to set my heart and my mind on the work of Christ rather than on my own internal distress. Isn't that what Paul does here? He would rather live in this world and be of service to Christ and His church than to go on and be with Christ and to enjoy the glories of heaven for himself. And he doesn't wallow in his misery in his prison cell. I can tell you, a Roman prison cell was far worse than any prison cell here in the United States of America in the 21st century. He doesn't wallow in his misery, but rather he looks to Christ Consider this, when you are tempted, dear believer, to think that your life in this world is useless and pointless, Christ, who is your life, has not yet taken your life. And the reason is the same as it was for Paul the Apostle. There is still some work for you to do in this world. There is still something for you to do, someone for you to encourage or to comfort or to edify with the hope of the gospel. There is still some way for you to glorify Christ in the midst of your sufferings and your distress. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Christ. Don't give yourself any excuses or avenues of escape. Say to your soul with the psalmist in Psalm 42, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. We've seen tonight that if we live our lives in this world for Christ, we can be assured that death will never separate us from Him and His love. The Christian life is a crucified life. We've died to the old man and to his deeds, and to his desires. And the desires that we now have are the desires of the Spirit of the risen Christ who reigns in our hearts. The Christian life is a risen life. We are new creatures in Christ. 
Christ is our life. Christ is our hope. Christ is our trust. The Christian life is not merely a matter of believing the right things about Christ. The Christian life is not merely a matter of having the right theology and the right doctrinal formulations about Christ. The Christian life is Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Truth incarnate. Truth revealed to us as a person. The second person of the Trinity who took to himself our nature. He might live for us and die for us that we might die to sin and live for Him. Do you know Christ and the power of His resurrection? Children, do you? Is Christ your very life? Can you imagine living even a single moment without Him? Even a single second apart from Him? When you sin you are in effect saying Christ is not my life. Sin is my life. But when you repent of your sin, do you know what you're saying? By the grace of God, Christ is my life. And I will live and die for Him. May that be our confidence and our rejoicing all the days of our lives in this world. Amen. Let us pray. O gracious God and Father, how we thank You that as we consider Christ and all that He is and all that He has accomplished for us and all that He is even now doing for us both in heaven and in our hearts, we are overwhelmed with wonder. We are astonished that You would call such wretches as we are out of the darkness of our sin and misery. And that You would raise us up to this newness of life, to this hope of everlasting life and glory with Christ who is our life. We know, O Lord, that even the rest of our lives spent in daily and hourly and moment by moment contemplation of these things will not be enough. And even all of eternity will not be enough for us to come to the end of the wonder of the person and work of our Savior. But oh, how we thank You. We thank You for the Word that You've given to us. We thank You for that Word preached. We thank You for Your Spirit's presence. We ask You now to implant that Word deeply in our hearts and to enable us to live in this world as if Christ is our life so that we can truly say to die is gain. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to the preaching of God's Word now by singing our song of praise, uh, Trinity number 437, Christ of all my hopes the ground, 437.
Now look up and receive the blessing of the triune and living God. The love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go ahead and